Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast. Hello and welcome to Into Security, the Info Security Magazine podcast. I'm Dan Raywood. And Michael Hill here as well. Delighted you can join us for our latest episode of our podcast series. So kicking things off, we'll take a look uh, back at the kind of big news headlines of the last week or so. Uh, Dan, let's start with you. Yeah, I'm going to pick up with a story which we covered uh, this week. It was on Wednesday, so that would be the uh, 19th of February, uh, as we record. Um, and it was a quite interesting report around the concept of insider threat. Uh, this was uh, released by Egress. And um, you might have seen the story which we wrote this week. I went to a roundtable last week uh, with uh, some of the members of the team and quite a few of the members of the press were attending as well. And it was, it, I mean, it's one of these real sort of very, very stat-heavy um, surveys. So I do recommend you probably look at the document or probably our, serve, our story where I've tried to pin down some of it because I'm currently looking at a chart of, uh, well, 12 different statistics, which I won't read out to you. But some of the ones that are actually very, very interesting were that they said, of their survey of IT leaders who they had to talk to and, and CSOs, they believe that employees have put data risk, um, data at risk intentionally. Now, actually, they did this report last year and 61% said that they believe that employees have put data at risk intentionally. In this year's one for 2020, it's actually gone up by 14%. So 75% of those people they surveyed, it's about 528 as I recall, is the sample set there, um, have actually gone up. So more people are seeing this actually as a threat now, as employees putting data at risk intentionally. Now, that's obviously quite a strong word. It, there's, there's, there's feelings in there that some people may actually want to do this to um, release it to people that, you know, nefarious means, shall we say. And uh, here we go. So, yeah, people, uh, causes of a breach, 21% was actually leaking data to cyber criminals, uh, 22% to a competitor. However, 32 was uh, sharing data to personal systems. We're talking about cloud services here. Could be talking about uh, USB sticks, if we're still using those, uh, personal devices. So even though it sounds like quite a harsh term, intentional um, leak, putting data at risk, it's actually the case that, Employees are probably just trying to do their jobs a little bit better. Um, another couple of report, uh, statistics that actually stuck out in the report uh, was about the concept of reporting. Um, we didn't cover this so heavily in the story, so I wanted to save this for this podcast. But the, um, the stats said that 33% of employees would self-report an accidental breach. Now, anyone, and I'll put my hand up and say, I have done this, thankfully not in this job too drastically, um, where you sent an email to the wrong person, you think, oh my good God, what have I done? Um, only 33% would actually self-report that they've done that. However, 56% said they, they or a colleague um, had actually broken computer policy, and 57% had done so intentionally. Now, we can think about whistleblowers like Edward Snowden, uh, Christopher Wiley, and there's some others, um, but we're not hearing so much about insider threats, probably because companies don't want this sort of data getting out. Um, just one more stat I want to pick out, or a series of stats, was about intentional incidents and how IT leads are being notified. 42% said they rely on, um, rely on reporting by another employee, so someone actually sort of pointed this thing out. 15% um, by self-reporting. 3% though said they were not confident it would be reported. So it's actually quite a, a lot of a tricky ones. There's a lot of hope here from the side of the IT leaders. And a lot of presumption that employees would be doing the good deed, actually going out and reporting this back and saying, this is something that I've done, sorry about that, please don't, you know, give me a warning, firing, whatever. Um, yeah, there is a malicious side, but I think that's... Uh, yeah, it's probably a bit more drastic than we're actually led to believe, but I won't ask you, Michael, if you've ever actually done anything accidentally. Of course I haven't. <laughs> I'm too secure. 
Uh, well, moving on then, and the big ransomware story this week uh, was the the attack that affected the U.S. gas uh, pipe uh, pipeline facility. And you may have read about this. So they were actually offline. Uh, operations were down for, for two days following the ransomware infection. Uh, this was uh, revealed by the Department of Homeland Security. Um, it seems that they were first targeted by a spear phishing email, as is often the case. Uh, and that allowed the attackers to access the IT um, and then pivot to the OT network of the uh, facility. Um, so the ransomware has been described as commodity type uh, designed to infect win, uh, Windows systems rather than any kind of ransomware that's uh, we've seen more recently that's kind of um, designed to uh, target ICS uh, specifically. Um, because of that, the, uh, the ransomware didn't actually manage to impact any of the uh, programmable logic controllers, PLCs, uh, responsible for directly reading and manipulating physical processes. Um, but still, the ransomware was able to compromise human machine interfaces, data historians and polling uh, servers on the OT network. Now, it appears the actual uh, facility itself was quite ill-prepared for, for the attack, which is, I guess, a worrying sign. You know, we, we hear about attacks on kind of, you know, um, OT and national infrastructure and things like that. Um, you know, a bit of a worrying sign that um, perhaps in infrastructure providers still haven't really got on, got on top of uh, security and, um, you know, they were offline for two days. Thank thankfully, the actual f physical outcomes in this uh, instance weren't... Uh, weren't weren't too bad obviously but um just shows it could have been um, a lot worse uh sort of ot security dan is one of those things that keeps keeps coming up and you know uh, critical infrastructure you know gas water electricity things like this it does seem these plants are still kind of being targeted and uh suffering quite significant attacks really definitely and i think also that people will uh, you know we, we t covered industrial cyber security in some of our um podcasts in the past and uh, and you know th these aren't particularly easy things to secure because they are invariably run on, on legacy uh, systems they're you know not exactly easy to switch off and update like you can with your phone or uh, your uh, your own you know laptop or even a company network can't sort of say right someday we're doing a server upgrade because you can't directly switch the water system off so yeah it, it's it's another difficult one I don't think we'll stop hearing about um ransomware anytime soon. Another thing we won't stop hearing about is business email compromise. Um, this is a story we ran on the 12th of February, uh, which was uh, say just about 10 days ago. And this, this actually came as a release from the FBI, where they said that losses from business email compromise attacks um, have actually massively increased and the FBI said by hundreds of millions of dollars over the past 12 months. Um, now this of course is again based on cybercrime losses reported, so a bit like with the egress story, how many of these are actually being reported to the authorities. In this case uh, they can only go, we go by what people have said but you know changes in compliance which uh, you know we, we've covered in the past as well have meant that things have to be reported and of course have to be reported to financial regulators but according to the FBI's 2019 internet crime report Business email compromise scammers made nearly 1.8 billion in 2019, and uh, yeah, it, it's quite significant up from 1.3 billion. So that's half a billion more uh, uh, year on year, and we're facing a situation where this is increasing. And also, what the FBI have said is that we know about it. It, it targets employees, uh, yeah, claiming to be from directors and sort of senior members of staff, saying, "Hello, I'm caught in Hong Kong. Can you please come and you know book me a flight home?" and you know, we, I, 
we, we've seen too many of these things reported where people actually kind of go back and they say, oh, yeah, you know, yes, yeah, please send me the money. And, of course, that money disappears into a bank account somewhere in a, a different country and you never see it again. Um, what the FBI reported, though, was that now we've seen scammers impersonate regular employees. Uh, in their report, they said um, a company's HR or payroll department receives the email appearing to be from an employee requesting to update their direct deposit information. Uh, this information generally routes to a prepaid card account. So it's a change from when it was the CEO was impersonated uh, to actually being a regular member of staff. Um, and also, we're sort of seeing a tactics here, both from you know, targeting the employee, so it's a change because obviously there's a lot more employees in a standard company. You might have a CEO and a maybe a couple of handfuls of senior directors, and then you, know, you might have several hundred employees, depending on the size of the company, of course. But, uh, you know, there's a lot more of a wider attack surface. And also, we're talking about you know, prepaid cards. There's a lot of these around there. You know, a great way to manage your money. But, of course, once you've gone to that, uh, that money's been transferred to that account, can you actually then go to that provider and say, can I get that money back? Recovering money from business email compromise is probably just as big an issue as, it, as actually making awareness of it. So... Yeah, I, I don't really see my cloud. This this can get any better because things are getting pretty bad, and it's it's the, the numbers are incredibly high. Yeah, I mean, we you know we, I'd say a couple of years ago we really kind of started to see business email compromise kind of really start to pick up, and you know it, it's getting to a point now where yeah there is kind of a lot of uh, sophistication involved, and kind of the old more traditional kind of mass phishing, if you like, is. Uh, it seems to be dying out from what I see, but there's more kind of like well-crafted um, attacks where, you know, uh, attackers are putting in, uh, you know, well, what, what on the surface seems like a fair bit of work and research, but I guess, you know, all they need to do is spend an hour or so on, on you know, LinkedIn, social media, you know, and then before they know it, you're going to have quite a lot of information there where you can convincingly target someone. So yeah. this is something that companies are going to need to be, uh, be aware of. Um, another story from me, and I wonder if I know... Of our listeners uh, work for the uh, UK government, uh, UK government employees, whether they admit they are or not, I don't know. Uh, But some interesting uh, statistics came out this week, uh, and this was uh, Freedom of Information Data, which was just over 2,000 mobile devices used by UK government employees have gone missing in the space of a year, uh, with a large number unencrypted. so requests were uh, was, uh, were sent by a communications company via SAT to forty seven government departments, um, and this was so this period of a year was between June the first two thousand and eighteen and June the first two thousand and nineteen, where a total of two thousand and four devices were reported lost or stolen, which amounts to eight per working day or thirty nine per week. Um, so what's quite concerning is the fact that the majority of, of these missing the, uh, or lost devices, so just uh, 767, they were lost by Ministry of Defence uh, employees, uh, followed by HMRC, 288 of those, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, 197, and the Foreign Office, 193. Um, uh, just a little bit further here, um, on the plus side, perhaps the majority, uh, 1,824 of the missing smartphones, laptops, PDAs, external storage devices and tablets were reported as encrypted. However, um, scores up to 65 were not, and, and the status of a further 115 is unknown. Um, an interesting one, like, you know, I guess, you know, government employees are, you know, just people like you and me, you know, yeah. things are going to get lost, they're going to go missing, but... Um, it's concerning that, you know, when you think about, you know, these devices, particularly, you know, over over 750 were lost by employees in Ministry of Defence. 
if even a small percentage of those are unencrypted, there's going to be very sensitive data on there. And it, you know, it's it's different to me, you, you, you know, losing a laptop, you know, or mis- having a laptop stolen, you know, how far can that really go? But when we're talking yeah. about high level government kind of data and, and secrecy on something that, for whatever reason, isn't encrypted, I know the vast majority were, but, you know, there's, there's at least 65 which were found to not be. It is, um, it is a... An interesting one, to say the least. It is. Like you said, you know, government's a big employer. I mean, if you think of 600-odd MPs, each with a staff of, say, three or four people, you know, you're talking several thousand people there. They can't all be you know, supreme, uh, you know, OPSEC people who know everything about, you know, their physical location and their data and all that. Uh, funny, I did actually go to the MOD once for a cybersecurity challenge event, and, um, yeah, it was, let's say, very controlled as to how far you could walk and... Um, yeah, remember being escorted once to walk around to the toilet. And also, you know, also taking photos. Obviously, you weren't allowed to take photos quite freely. So, yeah, it's funny to sort of, you know, from an external perspective, how you are controlled uh, as, as when you're going to government. But government employees, like I said, they're just human beings at the end of the day. So let's just pick up a, a couple more stories that, um, you know, have kind of caught our eye. And, um, well, this, this is, a, you know, this one that I saw on the BBC this week, and I totally didn't see this poster around London. I do see lots of posters I travel to and from the office. But um, the poster, I, which went viral on social media, was picked up in a BBC story. And it was described by the West Midlands Regional Organised Crime Unit as um, a quick reference guide. Now, the issue here is actually this poster, it contained several, listed several software brands that it claimed were sort of harmful. And these, are, of course, are legitimate. It included Tor, which is the uh, web browser that protects privacy running through different proxies, uh, virtual machines that create a sandbox environment, uh, Kali Linux, the uh, pen testing tool, the Wi-Fi Pineapple, which you can use test, uh, to spoof networks, uh, Metasploit, of course, which is used for testing uh, your environment against software vulnerabilities, and, of course, it's owned by Rapid7. Um, this poster, we're saying if your kids or whatever are using these, these tools, then there might be kind of a, a wannabe criminal. Um, not a particularly ideal scenario, and Professor Alan Woodward from Surrey University, he was quoted by the BBC as saying, if I found a 15-year-old with all that on the machine, I would invite them to come and study with us. Ditto Max Vetter, who's Chief Cyber, Chief, Chief Cyber Officer of Immersive Labs, um, said it, it does speak a worryingly negative cultural attitude towards tech education in the UK. Associating completely legitimate software with cybercrime perpetuates a stereotype of young coders as potential hackers. Um, it's interesting that we see these these particular pieces of software. Like I say, Tor, I mean, it's got negative connotations, but also it's also used by people very keen on privacy, for example. And um, you can also think of a number of companies which have basically been founded by people with slightly greyer past, not dark past, greyer past, looking at companies like Duo, Vericode, and Thinks Canary, all now run by people who have been doing kind of active web testing in the past and um, have gone on to form very, very successful companies. Now, the other thing about the poster is it featured logos of the Regional Crime Unit and also the National Crime Agency. Um, according to the BBC story, both uh, organisations have distanced themselves from this poster, so it may well be a hoax. However, it does suggest it did appear, it did get seen, and I think it's just a general perspective that if it's, if it's sort of anything slightly towards the darker side of the internet, it's bad, which isn't a particularly good idea, but... Who knows? Is it hoax? Who knows? Yeah, no, really <laughs> interesting one. Yeah. Um, another uh, story that caught my eye, and we did actually cover it on InfoSecurity, uh, involves HP. So Hewlett Packard, not the uh, not the source maker, but uh, 
the, the HP that we know for making office uh, devices and equipment, printers, laptops and such. Um, and they actually announced this week that it had joined something called the uh, Byers, uh, Byers Lab Security Validation Testing Program for um, MFPs and printers. Uh, the idea of this program is to help drive more stringent industry standards for printer security. Um, the reason that kind of just caught my eyes because I know it's pretty much a year ago that HP uh, launched the first uh, bug bounty scheme just for uh, printers, printing devices. So I know HP, have, you know, there seems to be a company that are taking security within their devices very seriously. You know, um, endpoint devices like office printers, uh, printers have, you know, as we know, proven to be quite serious uh, security weak spots in organisations, really. Um, you know, and you think about the modern printer, they're actually quite sophisticated in that, you know, the nowadays they can uh, they can send and receive emails. They can have print queues that I don't know. You know, the, the average print uh, print queue that how long it stays. You know, that data stays in the system for. But I'd say the average has got to be at least a couple of hours before it disappears. Certainly by my experience, um, you know, things can be scanned. They can, you know, machines can actually be targeted themselves. And of course, they're connected to the wider network. So, as has been proven, they they can sometimes be a kind of the, an easy step, you know, easy step into a corporate uh, uh, network. Um, so HP actually uh, came out and said our decision to engage with this testing program is driven by our desire to help raise the bar for the entire industry. Uh, so that was uh, Chuan Tran, who is president, imaging, printing and solutions business at HP Inc. Uh, we believe more can and should be done to mitigate security risks. This is an important step in driving more stringent industry standards for IoT devices like printers and pushing our industry to a higher standard. We encourage all of our industry counterparts to join in this effort um, so it seems as part of this uh, summing up to this uh, this kind of uh, program um, HP has passed the first two rounds of testing and earned the uh, security validation testing seals for device penetration and policy compliance for its HP future smart v4 enterprise firmware platform um, just an interesting one I think you know I think you know sometimes it's not you know Printers, office printers don't, you know, always make the kind of, you know, the headline, headline news. And when you actually think about it, how common and you know, how many companies have, you know, modern printers, which are actually, um, well, quite a weak spot from a security perspective. Yeah, like you said, you know, it, it can be an easy way into the uh, into a network. They're all connected to the internet these days because of email and. Um, Things get smarter and smarter, ironically, which because they're probably not that smart, but uh, it is an easy way into uh, a business, and there's great, great work by HP in actually addressing all this. So, just kind of coming up then as we as we wrap up, then um, InfoSecurity is going to be at RSA conference next week. So, by the time you're listening to this, we should be getting some content on the website. Uh, there's going to be written content, hopefully, which uh, you know reads well, makes sense, and gives you a good synopsis of what's going to be going on there. Uh, we're also going to be filming a bunch of videos, uh, video interviews uh, as well, some of which will hopefully be appearing sort of soon as we, uh, well, within a sort of matter of hours of them being, report, uh, being recorded, and um, some will be kind of going up in the, the weeks and days and weeks after the show, so do look out for that. Uh, if you are at uh, RSA conference, we are, uh, we do have a stand there, or a booth as you call it in the US, um, do, do check out uh, on the floor plan uh, where we are, I think we're in the North Hall, but um, there are copies of uh, the latest Q1 issue available for you to pick up, which um, I sort of hinted at the CCPA earlier on with about financial regulations, and there's the privacy regulation full feature in there which you can pick up and uh, you never know you might meet some of us as well we're going to be some of us going to be around yeah that's going to be a great show it's always a big one always a busy week but um, 
very excited for that. Uh, another thing we're excited for is obviously our online summit event. Uh, so our next event we're holding the 25th and 26th of March, so about just over uh, kind of a month away. Uh, so we're busy kind of building the agenda for that. We've got some really great uh, topics and, and themes that we're going to be exploring. Got a great bunch of speakers confirmed already. Uh, so do take a look at our website where you can see the um, event agenda. You can see who we've confirmed as speakers so far. And obviously you can uh, register your spot uh, if you haven't already done so uh, to make sure that you're all set up to, to view the event uh, over the two days. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Michael and myself are going to be... Um Again, moderating majority of it, so we'll be uh, yeah we'll be online quite a lot. You'll be hearing quite a lot of our voices over those two days. But as I said, there's some really great people involved, and um, don't forget if you're looking for CPE credits, we can always uh, offer you CPE credits. There's one one uh, I, think about, I think about about twelve or something offered across both days. I think or maybe mm-hmm. even slightly more than that. Uh, just one more thing, don't forget. There's always the um, we're doing more and more webinars all the time. There's more and more content going on Info Security Magazine, and um, just keep an eye on everything. Well, hopefully, we'll keep you up to date on everything that's been going on. Absolutely. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode then, so we'll sign off there. So a big thank you for listening, and we'll see you all soon. Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast.